Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Welcome to episode 8 of Yarns on the Plane. It's April Fool's Day today. Have you been caught out yet? I've watched the news this morning and I haven't noticed anything obvious. Although I did come in at a trail end of an article about a one-off tax for new cars um, that would be happening this year, from uh, with effect from today, which would mean that some of the higher emitting cars would actually be paying a £900 tax. Now, I can't work out whether that's an April Fool or just a horrifying truth, you know. I haven't looked at a paper yet, so hopefully there's some more jolly ones in there. Um, I hope to goodness that one about the cars is a is a hoax, otherwise we are completely screwed here in the UK since the uh, scrappage scheme finished yesterday. But never mind. Anyway, I haven't set out to deliberately trick anybody today, although I did smile when I uh, logged into Ravelry earlier and noticed that Katie had put little hats on everybody's avatar. Uh, and then um, I I started a thread in the Yarns on the Plane podcast group, and I don't know if it's because I put April Fools in the tags, but um, as I clicked enter and it, it set the thread up, my avatar changed to a picture of a sheep for several seconds. It was only when I came navigated away and then came back to the the screen that uh, the sheep had disappeared. Maybe it's Hoxton's sheep from Electric Sheep. Maybe it's the sheep is trying to take over other people's podcasts. It's more likely Casey fooling around, but never mind. Anyway, I hope you're well. This weekend, just gone, was the Make, Do and Knit event in Liverpool, and I'm going to talk about more about that later on the show. I actually took the my little mobile recording device out with me and um, captured some audio and interviewed one of the organisers, so that will uh, come in later. Uh, I'm on Easter holidays at the moment, so uh, no schoolwork. Huge pile of schoolwork to be done, but I haven't done it. I'm afraid, well, I've done a bit, but I haven't done a great deal. Uh, I have caught up on my ironing, which is a bit of a horrifying thought. It's possibly the first time I've done that in about four years. Of course, in the mess nature of ironing, I've caught up with it only for more to be spontaneously growing in the laundry basket. don't quite know how. There's only two of us in the house, and yet we seem to be doing at least one, if not two, washes a day at the moment. Which, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not wearing that many clothes, and I didn't think he was, but there we are. Obviously, the cat's got more garments in the wash basket than uh, than I'd appreciated. It definitely feels like spring today. There's a blue sky, faint breeze, the sun's out, heavy snow in Scotland, and sort of advancing down the country as we speak. Uh, I wait for it to hit us, probably just in time for my parents to arrive this weekend, but never mind. You know, we've got on to British summertime, so what do we have? Snow showers! Yay! Got to love the British weather, haven't you, really? So, uh, what else? Well, since the last podcast, the uh, What's on My uh, Needles section is not What's on My Needles. It's been What's Under My Needle, What's On My Hooks, and uh, What's On and Then Off My Spindle. Because since I last podcasted, I've hardly knit at all. I think the only bit I've actually knit was um, a few desultory rows on a sock whilst I was at the Make Do and Knit event at the weekend. Everything else has been seaming, stuffing, and crocheting, and spinning. And, because of that, I've got some finished objects. Whee! 
I finally, oh, but boy, did it take a time, seamed uh, my stripy sweater. Um, so I wore that out on Saturday. Um, pleased with it. I think the I stopped the cowl neck shorter than um, the pattern recommended, and I think possibly I could have done another inch on it, maybe. And even though I got someone to, uh, I pinned the, the body parts on and got someone to measure the sleeves and we worked out where we wanted the sleeves to lie, they're still a good inch and a half too long, really. Um, so I can, I might take the garter seam out on that bit and reverse it so that the outs, inside of the seam is on the outside and then roll it back. Oh, sorry, cat's walloped the microphone. Uh, I might take the seam out and roll um, the cuffs back so that I don't have a problem um, and I, I can just roll those up and don't have that nasty sleeve uh, seam. But I might not, I might just leave them hanging over my hands as a lesson to just shorten everything by an inch and a half because I've already got short arms. Um, what else? Oh, yesterday I was catching up on um, some episodes of Cognitive and got a direct mention by Dr Gemma and she mentioned my bear. Do you remember my acrylic mother bear project bear that got lost in the car park at the Spinning Guild and then got returned to me? Well I'm afraid to say it got returned in the middle of the Ravalympics so that wasn't going to happen until the jumper was finished was it? And then Ofsted came and derailed the Ravalympics so I'm afraid to say that bear uh, was shoved in a bag and it's uh, it was actually only that prompt from Dr Gemma that made me think you know I really do need to get this bear sorted. So yesterday uh, I sat down, I finished seaming him, I stuffed him, I did his face, um, he, he did his ears, he's got mismatched ears, he's got mismatched eyes. Sorry, I'm trying to pause here, I've got the cat in my arms and she's dribbling and it's quite disgusting, I'm sorry. God, what are you doing? See that's the trouble for being at least 15 years old and having no teeth left. Is that you've got nothing to keep your lips together when you're drooling, really, have you? Oh, God, that's so disgusting. I'm sorry. You shouldn't have to be subjected to that. Blech. Right, she's gone now. She's going to dribble down my back now instead. She's on my shoulder, so that'll be nice, won't it? Um, yeah, where was I? Oh, yes. Um, his ears don't quite match. His eyes don't quite match. Uh, and my friend Naomi says he needs an orthopaedic surgeon, so obviously his legs don't look too grand either. Um, but never mind. He's done! Hurrah! Um, I think I might do some more, so that I package more than one up. Um, I've actually ordered the crochet pattern from Amy at the Mother Bear Project, so I might give crocheting one a go, uh, and I'd like to do one in the round as well, because hey, that would save the seaming, wouldn't it? And you know how much I love the seaming. So that's all the, the seaming up I have done uh, since the last podcast. Anything where I wasn't seaming the sweater, because... Boy, did I not enjoy seeing the sweater and find every reason to avoid it, it uh, after dark. I've been crocheting. I've been crocheting blocks for the uh, NYOBE, Not Your Ordinary Block Exchange, um, round that I'm in now, round five, the earth colours. So that's sort of lots of greens and browns. They've been quite nice. And what I've also been doing is um, crocheting on um, a border onto each of the squares that I've got for the Shiloh Blanket project in memory of Andrew and Claire. Most of them have hit the size that I asked for, 8 by 8 or they're just a little bit under, so that's fine. Uh, a couple came in at 9, uh, nine by 9 and a quarter, 
which was, you know, hmm. Uh, but they're nice squares and I want to include them. So I've put a UK double crochet border around those two and then a UK treble crochet border or more uh, around all the rest. So they might have a treble crochet border or if some of them aren't quite square, I've done like um, a treble on opposite sides and a double on opposite sides and then done one whole round of either double or um, half trebles all the way around so that they've evened up to be a bit more square like and so that they're all a similar size to that largest one. I'm using a green Plymouth Encore worsted that um, I got in a D-stash. One of the people in the NYOBE group said they didn't like woolies which is really the only one of those worsted weight yarns that I can readily get in here in the UK and the UK equivalent, the Robin and the Sirdar ones just aren't quite the same they haven't quite got the same oomph the same sort of plumpiness really um so i got some of this on a d stash on ravelry and um i'm actually got so much of it i've got about six balls of it so i'm using that sort of mid soft green um to go around the edge so that that will give me a it'll sort all the, the sizes of the um squares out so they're all even and b it will actually give me something really easy to crochet the seams up with because if I whip stitch those squares, they're not going to last as long. Loads and loads and loads of people who've got um, blankets that they've whip stitched versus blankets that they've crocheted together. The crochet seams last so much longer that it just seems silly to whip stitch something and then have it all fall apart on me. And, you know, I'm, I just don't think my, my stitching is good enough. Whereas I know my, I can crochet a really neat seam. So um, I'm going all around the squares, and actually it's really soothing. I thought it would be a real ball ache, but it's not. Um, it's proving really soothing. Obviously, occasionally I have to juggle with the numbers, because there might be sort of 36 stitches across the top of a square, and actually I've decided that what I want is 30 stitches across each straight side and then three in each corner, um, and that will allow me to match them up really straightforwardly, so hopefully there won't be any puckering. So occasionally... I need to sort of do a little bit of maths and work out sort of where I need to do um, a treble, two trebles together decrease. Um, but it's coming on really nicely. Um, I've done about seven um, squares, I think. I have got some squares that I still need to knit for it. Um, three squares have unfortunately got lost in the post, which is a real shame because the girl who made them, they were beautiful. I've seen the photographs of them. They're really, really nice. And she'd already sent me two. Um, and she's in my NYOBE group. So I, I know the quality of her work is really, really good. Um, and it's just such a shame that they've got lost. Uh, I'm gutted. Um, and then four um, haven't come. Um, I think the lady who is sending them um, is very wrapped up with writing her thesis, um, presumably for her PhD thesis. So, um, I, you know, I'm loath to nag because it's, some, you know, I've sort of spoken to her a couple of times and um, on RAV. And she's really sweet. But, you know, when you don't want to keep nagging, so anyway, um, I've can't uh, convince my mum that she'd like to knit one. Um, and in fact, actually, she thinks the idea is really nice. Well, she thought the idea was really nice, and then I explained the full concept of lots of people doing it, and then she thought that was a bit strange. But then I think she thinks this whole social and swapping aspect of knitting and crocheting is odd anyway. She can't really understand that. I, I really don't think she 
kind of sees that social side of it um you know but that's just that's that's my mum my mum thinks that I do things like this and it's all very weird and I just kind of say no it's just like when I had pen friends in when I was a teenager in guides and and she just sort of goes yeah whatever <laughs> anyway so that's what's been on um my crochet hooks um over the last two weeks and then the final piece oh I am so excited um yesterday I finished spinning the 25 the original 25 grams of Shetland top that I've been spinning since last May off and on more off than on and then I took it and using a video on YouTube I wrapped it around my hand um, for Andean plying and yes indeed the tip of my middle finger did indeed turn blue and I have no idea how you'll do it for any more than the quantity of yarn I've got because by the time I got there my whole middle finger was pointing at a 90 degree angle to the rest of my hand uh, and was in danger of being lost completely with the yarn uh, and then I applied it using the spindle uh, put it into soak and then I've hung it up um, to dry it's now dry I have spun some yarn now what I haven't done yet is check its wraps per inch so I don't know what it's equivalent it sort of looks a bit well it's it's got thicker parts and thinner parts there's a surprise for a first yarn um, but it looks like it could be a, a possibly a, a DK equivalent in some spaces I've got a, a wraps per inch tool somewhere so I will actually go in and fertile that out and, and measure it properly and give you sort of proper update but it is uneven but I'm, I'm inordinately proud of it um, for a piece of uneven brown string it's 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 mine it's all mine and I spun it and oh how exciting so that's been what's been on my uh, hooks and spindle now this episode rather than have a review and a something I really like section I'm replacing both of those with my report from the make do and knit event in Liverpool that took place this weekend just gone uh, it took place in the blue coat school in Wavertree just literally across the road from where I used to live in my final year um, so a bit of a nostalgia trip um, as I went although I'd never gone in the blue coat and it's a lovely lovely building um, so it's really nice the marketplace um, looked like it was taking place in a hall the knitting in the round and the fashion show took place in the chapel and it just had a lovely lovely relaxed atmosphere now the blue coat school is actually a state school a private school um, within Liverpool it's the only fully selected school within Liverpool so that means the children sit an entrance exam at age 11 at the end of their primary education um, and it's a fully selective school and we have a couple of our children go every sort of two three years I think um, so only one of the children who is going to leave this year has been accepted into the blue coat um, although my school isn't in Liverpool um, the, the school does take children from surrounding towns um, which is where we fall into the, the catchment it was originally set up as a charitable foundation and an orphanage providing arms and education um, for poor children prior to the reformation carried out in uh, the 16th century um, at the behest of King Henry VIII education had been the province of the monasteries they had provided education for boys um, primarily I think girls didn't tend to be educated from what I, I understand my history is a bit sketchy 
Um, but after the Reformation, when Henry VIII dissolved the, the monasteries, there was no function uh, and nothing to provide this education other than um, fee-paying schools, which obviously were only available to those with money within Tudor society. And the Blue Coat School was set up as a charitable organisation um, to um, educate the uh, young people and was uh, co-educational. It was after a while um, it was noticed that the um, school itself was being neglected outside of school hours so it then became a boarding school and in the um, late, I think it was in the late 1500s, um, the uniform of a blue Tudor frock coat and yellow stockings was introduced for all um, pupils. It became um, a boarding school so the, it provided board and lodgings for the poor children in the city and that uniform of the Tudor frock coat, blue wasn't a royal colour, um, it was the common colour of most Tudor clothing due to obviously the, the dyes that were available. That will continue to be the um, the uniform of the school until 1948, um, when it became a boys-only grammar school um, and changed its uniform. So I can imagine that was an interesting sight um, all through um, the beginning of the 20th century of children dressed in Tudor frock coats. Um, but you know, that's the little quirks of the British education system. You still find these tiny little strange things. Anyway, um, in 1948 it became a boys only uh, grammar school um, within the grammar school system of the British education system so it was fully selective um, through an entrance exam the 11 plus that children took in their last year of primary school and then in 2002 it began to um, accept girls I think back into its sixth form and in within recent years it's now gone back to being fully co-educational so um, boys and girls attend the Blue Coat. When I lived near the area, obviously it was only boys, but it is now back to being fully um, co-educational school with its first female head um, teacher in, currently in post as well, so that's quite exciting. But the building um, in Wavertree dates to just over the last hundred years. Um, before that, the school was actually based right in the centre of Liverpool, in the city centre itself, in um, the buildings that were built for it in the 16th century, which actually now form the Blue Coat um, Arts Centre, um, the Blue Coat Chambers, which I never realised were actually connected to the Blue Coat School. Um, there are art shops in there. There used to be um, a wonderful calligraphy shop that I used to buy pens at when I was at college in Liverpool in the end of the 1980s, beginning of the 90s. There is now apparently a lovely um, shop called Perlesque. Um, which is there, which I, I haven't been to go and check out. So maybe I need to go. Maybe I need one of these. Maybe I need to have an occasional feature where I actually go touring around local yarn shops within the north. Hey, that's quite a good. I quite like that. I could be my a roving reporter, one-off um, segments going and reporting from yarn shops. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Anyway, Perlesque is now there. They were there um, at the Make Do uh, Make Do and Knit event on Saturday. Um, selling predominantly, they looked like they were selling vintage button sets, um, so they just looked lovely. Anyway, so, so that's the, the Blue Coat School, and that was where we were uh, this weekend. Um, we arrived, um, you know, fairly early on, uh, my friend Naomi and I, and we had a little pace around the market hall, 
Um, I kept bumping into people I know because I've worked in the area now since 2002 um, in the, the Merseyside area. And so a number of my colleagues um, that I used to work with um, live in Liverpool. So um, I bumped into former colleagues, um, people I've met on dyeing courses, uh, people who used to go to knit group. Um, you know, it was just, it was such a laugh. I kept bumping into people. Um, obviously a social body me. Um, anyway, we arrived in time um, to have a little nosy um, into the tip of the market hall. And then we went into the chapel to see the unrolling of the Poetry Society's um, giant poem, giant knitted poem, um, which um, I'll talk about a little bit later. So I, I recorded a little piece when I was in the chapel after the fashion show. We then went back to the market hall. The market hall wasn't very big. Um, and there seemed a steady stream of people on the Saturday, um, but never so many that you had to elbow your way to the stalls, which as um, a buyer is lovely. Um, as a vendor, I hope that that's not um, too dangerous a situation, um, because at least when there's four deep at your stall, there's a good chance that people will buy stuff. Whereas, you know, if it's not four deep, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, a salesperson. But anyway, fibre and clay were there. Um, and then um, Crafty Koala, Baby Long Legs and Fibre Spates and the National Natural Dry Studio, all of whom are um, dyers that I absolutely love. Um, and I've bought um, yarn from all of them in the past and fibre from um, Baby Long Legs and Crafty Koala. They are gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Um, so... That was quite exciting. There was also sewing um, stands there, and like I say, vintage buttons. Jamie Possum were there, which I've never really had a proper look at before because it's always been sort of knee deep in, in people. So that was quite interesting to have a look at that. Um, I hadn't realised that Possum um, fleece, fleece, pelt, whatever. Anyway, it's, it's um, gained from the culling of the New Zealand Possum, which sounds absolutely hideous, but. Um, the use of possum wool is actually supported by the WWF, the Worldwide Fund for Nature, because the New Zealand possum is not indigenous to New Zealand at all. It was introduced from um, Australia, and the man at Jamie Possum was telling me that actually, before white settlers arrived, there were no mammals on New Zealand at all. And first they brought rats and cats and dogs, and then um, at some point the... Um, possum from Australia was introduced now over the years it's become bigger and tougher uh, than the Australian possum um, and it's now called the New Zealand possum and what it has done is it has decimated um, indigenous populations of birds and reptiles and I think now I may be wrong um, and I haven't checked this but I'm sure the the chap from Jamie Possum said that within a reasonably short period of time in terms of, of evolution, maybe about 100 years, the New Zealand possum had wiped out 80% of the indigenous New Zealand bird species. And that actually the protection was that if they don't manage the species with large scale culling, then that they that by the end of this century, they could have conceivably have wiped out every indigenous New Zealand bird species, which is horrific. It's a horrific thought. So 
the World Wide Fund for Nature um, supports culling of um, New Zealand possum, and therefore, as a byproduct of it, the use of its fleece. Now, it's a very short staple, so it has to be spun with wool. Um, normally, 20% possum, 80% merino um, is enough for that, but you get this incredible warmth from possum, but also it keeps you very cool in the summer, apparently. So, um, of course, I couldn't resist it. I've never knit with possums, so I have to buy some. I'm so transparent, aren't I? I'm just terrible. I'm actually standing there saying to Naomi, but I need to review this for the podcast. That's my justification of buying it. How terrible is that? Shocking. Anyway, that's what I did. Um, so I bought some um, Jamie Possum to make a, a little glove kit. So when I've made that, I will review um, the possum for you. Um, I also picked up some um, rainbow dyed sock yarn from the Natural Dye Studio, which is just beautiful. Um, some gorgeous, what what um, Sarah, baby, I think she's called Sarah, a baby long leg has been termed a glitter ball, um, which is basically fibre with 3% silver thread in it. And it's all wrapped up in cellophane to make it look like a gigantic bath bomb, um, which is beautiful. Um, greens and purples, lovely, my favourite colours. So there you go, my love affair with green and purple goes back a long, long, long time. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. That was it in terms of fibre and yarn. I was very, very self-controlled. I did, however, buy um, and get signed a copy of Woolly Wormhead's new um, book, Twisted Woolly Toppers, which I, I like going straight as a, a book, her first book, but um, I think there's some really ingenious ideas in there. But Twisted Woolly Toppers, I think, surpasses it. I think the hats are just lovely they are um, knit on the bias knit with cables knit, knitted with um, twisting them just really really nice construction um, lovely lovely book so I am going to review that in the next um, episode hopefully I'll have actually been able to um, knit something from it that would be good wouldn't it because then I can actually tell you what it's like to knit from the pattern because I haven't actually much as I covered them I haven't actually knit a woolly worm head pattern um, I just keep looking at them and drooling at them and just thinking, oh, lovely. Um, so I'm going to try and review that. But the exciting news is that Woolly Wormhead is coming to Fibre and Clay in July and she's going to be um, doing a couple of design um, workshops, two full day workshops. So you can do either the Saturday or the Sunday um, where she actually takes you through the steps of designing your own hat. Um, to fit you, which I just think is amazing. Um, really, really looking forward to it. Um, it's £40 for the day. That includes um, lunch, I'm, I'm saying confidently. Um, that's normally what, what uh, is included in the Fibre and Clay workshops. Um, so that if you are in the northwest, in fact, people travel to Fibre and Clay workshops from all over. I've known people travel from the south of Wales for the day. Um, Nutsford is on a rail line from Manchester. So people um, can come on, on the rail and actually I know Rihanna and Nigel are, are really fantastic. I know they've gone and picked up their customers from um, the railway station before now uh, and dropped them off again so they're lovely uh, like that if you are coming from a distance but I just think it's a fantastic opportunity so I've signed up for that. I'm going on Saturday um, the 17th of July. It just sounds brilliant, really looking forward to it and I'll, I'll talk about more of that later. I'm going to pick up a, a leaflet and actually give you more details about what's in the workshop. So that's something else that I picked up um, at Make Doing It, something else to review. 
woolly worm heads, uh, twisted woolly toppers, fabulous. Anyway, I'm going to um, just now leave you now to a little piece of audio that I recorded after the fashion show that took place in the afternoon inside the chapel. Uh, after the, the fashion show, I just hung around for a little bit and um, recorded a little bit about the poem. Well, I'm here inside the chapel at the Blue Code. It's a gorgeous building. It's circular um, with a domed ceiling and a cupola on the top, which uh, is slightly distracted, I suppose, by the uh, enormous spider's web across it. I've never seen such a very large spider's web. But it's a beautiful chapel. Um, all around the walls are um, stone with beautiful carved um, filigree detail on the top of the supporting columns and then um, white plasterwork around and a white and very pale blue uh, plasterwork on the inside of the dome. Um, beautiful wooden pews in straight rows and the fashion show that we've just watched um, took place up on the steps um, in front of the altar coming down um, the little steps into the first a pew and um, the patterns were all from um, vintage knits and a stitch in time by Susan Crawford and Jane Waller um, so they're all inspired by um, fashions from the 30s, 40s and 50s although there were some Edwardian patterns as well um, so lots of um, square boxy shoulders um, lots of fine detail and uh, due to the nature of um, knitting very much in the 30s and 40s an awful lot of use of two ply and four ply very fine work um, because of course you could get an awful lot of knit for your yardage uh, when you work with these very fine yarns and they have a very different look to them garments made from these fine yarns they do have that sense anyway I think of looking as they come from the 30s and 40s um, especially when they have the little the pico edges, the lacy edges, um, the eyelet detail across the bodies and like I say these boxy shoulder pads um, in the sleeves but very nice they're not um, I don't think patterns that are particularly designed for um, fuller figured women uh, it's hard to say um, they look fantastic on the young women that were modelling um, the, the designs they are um, very much I think for a slender figure uh, or a more slender figure than mine I suspect I think you need that slender almost boyish figure that was still the fashion in the 30s um, anything too curvy tended I think to distract detract from the line of um, the garment but there were some very nice ones um, the show actually kicked off with a lovely little 30s inspired um, bathing suit in navy um, with a white seagull on which I have to admire anybody um, who would contemplate wearing such a garment it, it's very fun um, but it is not leaving a great deal to the imagination, I don't suppose. Um, but it kind of looks now, I suppose, you'd wear it in the similar ways to, the way, to how you would wear a little um, shortened vest top play suit idea. Um, very cheeky, very frivolous. Um, 
with uh, some interesting cheeky detail. Um, so that was the fashion show. I attempted to record some audio and take some photographs during it, but it was all a little bit um, awkward to do whilst I was still trying to knit as well. Um, so we're going to make do with a little bit of audio, ambient audio from inside the chapel. Um, as I speak now, there's still a knit group that have come over from um, Derbyshire on a day trip um, over by the pulpit. There's still a couple of knitters in the middle section um, knitting in um, looks like the munching sandwiches and there are some people girls knitting at the back um, because the chapel is open all day um, to knit in um, so it's a, a spot to just go and knit um, I'm sitting right by the Poetry Society knitted poem at the moment um, it's rolled away um, but I was here earlier this morning when we opened it out and tried to drape it across the pews and she's enormous um, it's for anyone who doesn't know about it, it was um, a project, uh, a big artwork project that was um, commissioned by the Poetry Society last year to mark their 100th anniversary. Um, and they asked a 1,000 knitters um, worldwide to knit 12-inch squares, um, some with letters, some blank. They were provided with the patterns but not told anything about it. And it was only when it was unveiled in last October that it was unveiled to be Dylan Thomas's um, My Craft or Sullen Art, um, which of course fits rather nicely. Um, each knitter um, was asked to put a label on, attach a label to the back of their square with their name and where they came from and their favorite poem as well. So it's really interesting, um, as I'm looking now, the poem is rolled up um, so I can see the back of a whole lot of the squares and it's really interesting to see other people's poetry choices. I love finding out what other people like in terms of poetry um, and I've seen a, a lot of popular ones that I would expect um, such as The Lady of Shalott and um, When I Am Old I Shall Wear Purple by Jenny Joseph which um, I'm I love, but I'm slightly concerned about because I, I am already wearing quite a lot of purple. So I don't know quite what that says about me. Um, but I'll not worry too much about it. Um, but it's uh, it's quite a work of art. Although, <laughs> although uh, when I was here this morning unveiling it, Helen Chatterton, who's one of the organisers of the weekend, um, she runs knitting... Um, techniques classes at Fibre and Clay where I go and I've been on her finishing techniques class and she's was shuddering I think as we were rolling it out because it's um, some of the seaming on the, the squares on the blanket is very neat work and some of it is not. It looks, I just imagine, it looks as if it could well have been constructed in strips. So each row was constructed because the row, some of the row seaming is really neat but then when each row was sewn together, there's a, a right hodgepodge of blanket stitch and overstitching contrasting yarns and um, some lace work together and some whip stitching. And um, the back of the... <laughs> I can't believe how many people have not sewn in the, uh, the ends on the back of their letters. Um, it's quite horrifying. You know, the perfectionist in me is really quite, uh, quite shocked. I can't believe you'd want to submit a letter to uh, a gigantic knitting poem and not weave your ends in. How terrible is that? But uh, maybe that's just me being a bit prissy. Anyway, that's it for the chapel. This next piece of audio is an interview um, that I 
had with Susan Crawford, who was one of the organisers of the weekend. Susan is also um, a publisher, a designer, a writer. She's uh, a woman of many talents. People will well know her um, as the designer Just Call Me Ruby. She's also the author of um, A Stitch in Time with Jane Waller and Vintage Gifts to Knit. So this is the interview that I carried out with her towards the end of Saturday afternoon. Well, I'm here now with Susan Crawford, who's one of the organisers of this weekend's event. And hello, Susan. Hello. Um, and I'm just going to ask her a few questions, really, about how she came about to organise um, the event and how she feels it's going so far. We're only on Saturday afternoon, so obviously we're not at the end yet. But how did you come about with, with thinking of starting it off? Well, a couple of reasons, really. Me and my friend Helen, who have organised the event, we both attend lots of events around the country in different ways. I attend knitting events. Helen tends to attend designer maker type fairs. But we always have to travel. There is never anything nearby that sort of fills the, the same sort of arena that we like to, to actually exhibit at. And we thought, right, well, we'll give it a go and see if we can do it. And for a while, it was just a bit of a pipe dream and a bit of a, a wild idea. And then we found this beautiful venue, which is actually the school that um, Helen's son goes to. And um, we didn't realise it could be, it could be hired out. And then we found out that it could. And we just thought, it's the most wonderful place. Let, let's try it and then once we'd committed to hiring the venue we had to then see it through and create an event and that's where we are today. Um, it's got a very different feel to a lot of the events that I've been to um, in the past. I've been to um, events at Birmingham at the NEC um, and I've been to INIT and they've, they've got a very frenetic feel to them and this has got a much more relaxed feel. Was that what you were aiming for? Yes, I think so. Because it, uh, certainly as a, uh, a potential buyer, as I've been going around, it's been lovely to be able to actually get to the stalls. No one's elbowing you out of the way. But there's a lot of, it appears there's a lot of through traffic. So there's lots of people moving around. Um, the chapel office is very quiet and a, a lovely reflective place, which is presumably why you've chosen it for the knitting in the round. That's correct, lovely. yes. Um, did it, was it the obvious venue for also putting on your fashion show? I think so, yes, because you've got, you've got the steps and you've got the area at the front where you can display people as well as things and it, it, it just seemed just right and there were so many seats that people could sit and, and relax and, and watch at leisure without feeling they were hemmed in or squashed or having to sit on the floor or all those things, as you say, that sometimes the case at different events it was it almost seemed that it was set up for it really now obviously all of the um, designs that we saw today are based on patterns from um, 30s 40s 50s as you said and yes. some older ones as well yes where yes. do you find these patterns um i don't know really all over the i mean a lot of them we've had for a long time um, some of them i've had access to Jane Waller's collection as well at the Winchester Knitting Reference Library. But a lot of the time you're on eBay, you're on, you're at vintage shows, not necessarily knitting shows, at the sort of textile shows is where mm -hmm. you tend to really find them. 
jumble sales, charity shops, people who kindly donate them to you because they know you're going to do something with them. Mm -hmm. And all over the place and you just build and build and keep going and keep thinking, oh, I need this now. I know this is a a little bit that I haven't got a lot of and I want to get more of and you just keep going. So it's almost like a a love affair, if you like, with these. I think obsession is probably (laughs) the word that some people would use, yes. And have you always been interested in this, that style I of fashion? I have, yes. Yeah, from when I was about 15, 16, I started wearing what was then considered second-hand clothing, not vintage. It's only really become vintage in the last 10 years. But yes, sort of, from I would say from about 15, vintage clothing was sort of my big thing, and I, I've always worn it ever since. I used to buy it. I'd still buy it if it fits me, but I'm not quite the size that I used to be. Um, I tend to buy old patterns, make from them either dresses, dressmaking or, or knitting um, because there's just something about the, the styles, the shapes, the attention to detail. They're very, I'm very really feminine, like. aren't they? They are. They um, are. Even if you might have a, a more straight up and down figure, there's still something about the styling that seems to accentuate. They, gi- they give you a figure, even if you haven't really got one. Even if it's the opposite, if you're slightly overshaped, they manage to put the emphasis in the right places and make you feel far more feminine and, and ladylike. <laughs> something that I... In, sat here in my jeans and big baggy sweater, sometimes I uh, feel like I don't quite manage to pull off. Um, so have you had much of a chance to enjoy it so far today? No. <laughs> no, it has. I'm, I'm hoping tomorrow, now that we've sort of, we've had our rehearsal with the fashion show, we've got it all organised. We've got wonderful volunteers from local knitting groups who've come in today and made things much easier and tomorrow it will be easier again as a result of that help. Um, and I'm hoping I might get to see something because as yet, no, I've, I've been into the market hall, I think, twice and spent about 30 seconds in it each time, so <laughs> not yet. Oh, well, I hope you do get to because I've certainly enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lovely day. I'm really Thank pleased. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So that's about it for this week. Um, just a reminder uh, on the news front that at the end of April, I think it's the 24th and the 25th, is Wonderwall Wales at the Royal Welsh Showground at Bilf Wells in Paris. Um, a fantastic festival, um, run for the last couple of years in conjunction with the Mid-Wales Mouthful Food Festival. This year that's not happening, so Wonderwall is standing entirely on its own. So we'll see how well that goes. Um, that's in uh, three weeks' time this uh, coming weekend. And also, for anyone who is in Britain who is not aware, although I should imagine that's a very small percentage of the population, this Saturday sees the new series of Doctor Who. Now, part of me feels very, very disloyal, but I can't help being just a teensy bit excited. I know it's not David Tennant, but it is Doctor Who can't wait. Anyway, take care. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plain show page at yarnsfromtheplain.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me 
at yarnsfromtheplain at googlemail.com or message me on Ravelry where I'm Tales from the Plain. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>